The next day, the great crowd that had gathered heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. This crowd praised him. They celebrated his miracles and with great expectation told everyone about him. But they did not know him. They were waiting for someone who would rule with strength and might. But he came as a humble servant. They wanted him to finally bring their people glory. But he wanted to change them so their lives would bring God glory. They were expecting a general who would crush their enemies. But he came saying, love your enemies. They thought he could offer them deliverance from their oppressors. But he came offering deliverance from sin. This crowd would soon realize that Jesus wasn't going to be what they wanted. And they turned on him before they ever realized he was what they needed. So as they yelled, crucify, Pilate asked Jesus, are you a king? Jesus answered, I am not that kind of king. His kingdom isn't what you see here. It won't be established by chaos and war. His kingdom is in our hearts. His kingdom is truth. His kingdom is goodness. His kingdom is righteousness. He is the humble king, the king of healing, the king of forgiveness, the king of love. Today, we lift our voices. We cry, Hosanna, save us. Save us from our sin. Come dwell in our hearts. Hosanna, we worship you. Jesus Christ, our king. So we gather here together, Palm Sunday, kind of comprehending and journeying together uh, with, with Jesus, what he means to us. So before we begin, could you join me in a word of prayer as we humble our hearts and say, Lord, give me the message that you want me to hear um, through a feeble mouth, but you still make clear to us your incredible news and your word. Father, we come before you this morning uh, from many different places in our lives and journeys, holding a lot of baggages, struggles, pains. We, we deal with so many things day in and day out that we lose sight of you. It's easy to lose sight of you. Sometimes we feel like we're just drowning and just trying to get that breath. And so we, we dive and we give ourselves to you to say, Lord, would you save us? Not just from the miseries of our lives, but would you save us to the very core of our being? Would you Reveal to us that we are people that even need salvation in many different ways, especially from sin. So God, every day we're reminded that we are not gods, and every day we're reminded we need you. So Lord, make that clearer and clearer as we journey to the cross and as we have hope in the resurrection. We love you, but we thank you for loving us first, loving us greatly. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So let me start by uh, saying there was a Forbes article that said why leaders make so many mistakes. And the article was saying leaders make many different mistakes because they start with the wrong question. 
And there's a saying, you ask the wrong question, you get the wrong answer. And the Forbes article is saying we started asking the wrong questions even to our children. What do parents usually ask their children about their future? What do you want to do when you grow up? Some of you had it right. What we should be asking is not what do you want to do, because that assumes what you do defines who you are. Like if you, if you are a plumber, you're a plumber. That's all you are. But what's more important than making money and having a career, it's a better question is who do you want to be when you grow up? That deals with the character of the person. It's a whole different question than an occupation. It's the person. And when you look at Enron, Worldcom, when you look at you know, the Ponzi screams, we taught people study hard, work hard, and make the money. But we have to ask, who do you want to be? Because you could make money by taking a gun and saying, give me your money. Or you could make money by being diligent, humbly serving, and with your character, letting God bless you. So the question is, who, uh, what is the wrong question and what is the right question? And when it comes to religion, I think we've been asking the wrong question in the same way. I think the wrong question we've been asking about religion are things like, what do I want to believe in? There's so many religions. Which one can I choose? What do I want to believe in? The better question is, which of these religions is really true? Don't look for preference when it comes to dealing with your eternity. I wouldn't basket bank it on my preference. The better question of religion is not, what do I want to believe in? But it's, which one of these is true? Um, another question about, from religion is, don't ask, what do I have to do to get to God? And that implies I could do something. I could actually get good enough. I could really go to church this time, and I could get to God. The better question is, what has God done so I could get to know him? And these differences of questions, doesn't it change or shift your thinking about what really is what I'm going after. So when we go to Jerusalem at the day of palm branches, you saw the video. People are shouting Hosanna. You know what Hosanna means? Save us. Can you say Hosanna? Hosanna. Yeah, and that means save us. They were celebrating, you're coming to save us. The question they were asking is, is he the David that's going to give us military might and rebuild the Israel? That's what they were asking. They were not asking Is he the one that brings us back to God? Or, better question is, who is he really, (laughs) right? And, you know, we discover that in in, uh, relationships and friendships, you know, marriages. I'm not sure if you had these moments, but, you know, you marry someone, and then with my wife, about a week into it, I was like, who is Kathy (laughs) Coe? Really? You know? It's a good thing to ask, not what is she and what has, what are we gotten ourselves into, but who is this person that's living with me now and I'm living with her? And, and But this question, Jesus comes into our lives and he's knocking and sometimes we're like, oh, I like Jesus, but we haven't asked this question, who, who is Jesus really? Israelites, they were celebrating with palm branches and the reason why they went from Hosanna to crucify him in five days was they were asking the wrong question They got the wrong answer. And for us, you ask the wrong question, you get mad at God later on, and then you realize it's not his fault. 
but we were asking the wrong question. Sometimes we ask, how can my life be happy? Well, I go to church and my life's happy. Okay, then let me go to church and let me find happiness. Come on. Church is one of the most toxic, dysfunctional organizations in America, according to many surveys. Where the infighting, politics is the worst. You're going to send someone to church to find happiness? Wrong question. Wrong answer. You know, church is not perfect. And church can actually point us to the right answer. But the setup here is this. You go to church. Just check it out for two years, and you'll be happy. The, the trust is not on where the church points to, but people end up seeing, wow, the choir, well, the pastor, he's kind of weird. Wow, you know, that lady, she doesn't even smile at me. Did you see that guy who said, you're sitting in my spot in the pew? I don't want to go to church. We ask the wrong question, we get the wrong answer. So what is the problem? I think we need to ask as we go into Holy Week, what is the problem? Are we trying to find happiness? Are we trying to find comfort? Are we trying to find a hope that will give us a new job and a beautiful wife and a beautiful husband and beautiful kids? Church will give me that because God will give me that. You ask the wrong question, you get the wrong answer. Can I start with the problem? Would you let me? Yes? I think the first problem we need to see is not our happiness. You see, the issue is so basic that sometimes we glean over it because we're like, oh, we know that. But here it is. You want the core issue of our lives right now, it's called sin. Can you say sin? And just to be funny, just turn to someone next to you and say, yo, dude, I got sin. I mean, just, just, just do it. Just, just humor me. Just say, I have sin. And, and it's uncomfortable because you're like, uh. But Hebrews 10 is asking this question, what do we do with this issue of sin? That's what Hebrews 10 is asking. The question that the writer is writing response to is, what do we do with sin? And he's saying, well, the Old Testament law is you kill animals every single day. That's the priest's job, by the way. Can you imagine waking up? Time to make the donuts. You know, that was a Dunkin' Donut commercial from a long time ago. Time to kill the goat. Next. You know, and you do that every day for what? Sin. And he's like, why did I go to college for this? And, you know, the issue the Hebrews writer is saying, is that the way we deal with sin? And he's going to answer that, but let me, let me go into this. Our issue is not information nor behavior change. Your issue is not encouragement and pep talk. Our issue before all of that is, dude, I have a major problem, and it's called sin, and it's big. Um, there, there's In Romans 5, 12, and some of you think you're good, and I, I appreciate that. I'm not going to change your mind. <laughs> you know, If you think you're, you don't have sin, that, that's okay. Um, you know, I, If I didn't feel like I believed in gravity, I still wouldn't jump off the building, but I want to tell you what the Bible says about us. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, I don't care if you don't believe he's true or mythical, but this is what the Bible says, through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all humans because all sinned. What the Bible is saying, whether you like it or not, because of Adam, we all, all inherited sin and were dead. I don't feel dead, Jason. 
Life is going pretty swell. Got a nice car. Got a nice job. Did you see my girlfriend? You know, and life is good. And the issue is not how you feel, but the issue is how God sees you. And he says, through Adam, sin disease came in. So we have this God, and what, what the Bible is saying is this, that, that there, is, there is this God, and the issue is that we have this gap between me and God. And that's what sin is. And the sin is saying we have this separation. And this is what Westminster Catechism, this fancy book called Confessions, it tells us what we believe as Christians. One question is, what is the misery of sin in our lives? And this is what it says. Because of sin, all humankind fell. We lost communion with God, meaning we lost a relationship. You're not close with God. You may feel God close to you, but without, as sinners, we're not close with God. We're under his wrath and curse. By the way, why? Because he's holy. We're sinners. Just as much as you want a judge to say, you killed a whole family? We have to administer justice, dude. God's wrath is on us because of our sin. And he's so made liable to the miseries of this life. How many of you had a miserable free life? That's actually evidence of sin. That's kind of depressing too, though, you know? I don't mean miserable life, but we have frustrations in life. Two more, and it says, to death itself. And lastly, this is the part that we try to stay away from, and even churches have walked away from this, but I want to say it. As a result of sin, at the last part, and to the pains of hell forever. Oh, Jason, I don't like that part of the Bible. Can you just talk about the love part? I don't like the hell part. Well, here's the issue. When you're separated from God, and God is life, and I don't have access to God, guess what's going to happen to me? We're dead. So the Bible is saying we have separation from God. We have, we have brokenness. We have... And so I want to share with you, we went to a retreat, and these are real bricks that our youth did and adults did. And we said, what are the sins in your life? And just see if you could relate. Maybe you guys are more righteous than the youth, but I don't, I'm not. Um, sickness, getting bullied as a result of sin. This one says, anonymous. This one says, an addict, anger, guilt, regret. This one says, heartbroken, deceiver, faking it, pretending everything is okay to look good. Me, I'm the center, guilt, insult, loneliness. All results of sin. These are real things. Family, friends, issues, not trusting. No care. Selfishness, ignorance, laziness, self-centered. You see where this is going. Fear, selfishness, my own way. That's what sin does. Stop being like Jonah, running away from God. God, I don't like you. I hear you, but I don't want to do what you say. Pride, arrogance, anger, evil, regret. Pride, deceitfulness, self-reliance, selfishness, always. Not making God the center of my life, making myself the center. Anger, afflictions. Fighting, 
with my siblings living sinful sinning doubting God's love being hurt easily trying to impress people being shy Selfishness, bitterness, jealousy. You see, we don't need theology to realize that gap between us and God. Sometimes it's not visible, but you know how we see it? Through those bricks right there. You know how we know our issue is not the location, my church, my job, that it's within us? These things keep popping up. And the wage of sin is death. The wage of sin to us is broken relationships, racism, feeling like I'm better than others because of my appearance, classism, feeling like I'm superior because I have more money and you're poor, go get a job, arrogance, I'm better than you because I am. And we judge one another, and then how dare anybody judge me, though I judge others? You can't do that to me, but I could do it to others. And what Hebrews writer is saying here is, this is a sin that the priests are killing animals for. And how are you dealing with it? Well, the priest comes and kills animals. How's that working out? Oh, he does it every day. And the Hebrew writer is saying this, if you're sick and I give you a pill, and after 30 days you're not an ounce better, would you keep on taking that pill? It's not a hard question. (laughs) No, it doesn't work. And what the Hebrews writer is saying is they go every day and they give offerings as if it worked. And so this is what his conclusion is, this barrier with God and the bricks in between. Maybe some of your sins, you could say, that one's mine. I'm pretty good on the outside, but I cover up this wickedness inside really well and so the writer says in verse 4 can i tell you something it is impossible for the blood of goats and bulls to take away sins can i tell you what that sounds like in 21st century because we didn't bring any goats today i like to kill it in front of you no i'm just kidding that's kind of gross but you know how this you know how we do that in 21st century this is how we do it god i really screwed up this time but starting now I'm going to give up. I'm going to give up girls. I'm willing to make that sacrifice for you. I'm, I'm giving up dating. I, I, it, that's it. It's over. I'm yours, God. You know what? I'm, I'm, I love you so much, God. I'm willing to give up. I'm willing to give you up my baseball and my video games. Because it's a big sacrifice. Do you know how much I love video games, God? And so we try to do religion. And we say, I'm going to go to church now. And let me try to fix myself. What is the issue with this? Who's doing the fixing? You. You know what fixing your sins like that looks like? Matthew, come on up. He's like, he's going to kill me for this. Matthew, come on up. Matthew, is ama- he played baseball. Just, just for the illustration. Oh, he hates me. Matthew, <laughs> can you knock down from there? with that paper, and you better not do it because it'll mess with the illustration, but (laughs) 
Can we try it again? No. Okay. <laughs> did, you, did you see what it just happened? Yeah. We build up this sin. Sin is within us, but it's projected, and we, we have these symptoms of the sin, and we're trying to fix it by throwing paper at brick. Let me try religion. Let me try goodness. Let me try behavioral change. You still think you're God. That's sin working in and of itself. Let me say that one more time. You still think you're God because you think you can fix this. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, see ya, don't want to be ya. It is impossible for the blood of goats and rams to take away the sins. Religious rituals can't. So what does a Hebrew writer say? The blood sacrifice in Leviticus, I'm glad you did it, but they didn't really, they're just shadows. What is a shadow? Shadow is, it's just a silhouette of a different reality, right? It is, shadow even in and of itself doesn't have life. It is a projection of silhouette of something bigger. These sacrifices are just a shadow of something greater, a real substance. What do you think he's pointing to? Say, say his name with me. Jesus. He's saying you can't fix it. Ever. Not with goats. It's like throwing paper at this. And every day you come trying to fix it as a reminder, you're still in despair for your sins. So, he gives us the good news. I love this. Verse 5. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said this. He obliterates our thinking. Sacrifices and offerings you did not desire. Did you catch that? God doesn't desire your sacrifices or my sacrifices. God, I gave up video games for you. God goes, awesome. God, I gave up. I gave up sleeping around for you. Uh, cool. How about that sin? Well, now I'm working on it. So Jesus is saying, you don't desire sacrifice and offerings. But this is what Jesus says, crazy. But a body you prepare for me. Think of Jesus saying that. He's saying, you gave me nothing, you don't sacrifice, you don't want it. You know what you gave me? You gave me a body. Why? Because I was spirit. I was a triune God. Now you gave me a body. What's the purpose of this body? To be nailed to a tree and to die a sinner's death. God, who is spirit, became flesh. Why? So he could die a man and a woman's death. Bulls and goats cannot replace you. But you know who can? Another human being. One that is perfect and sinless, as Jesus was. And as he faces that, he journeys to Jerusalem, riding on a donkey. And I, I'm so psychological with this. And he's looking at all these crowds, and he knows they want me dead in a few days. This is our Savior. So the question is, what motivated him? Do you think religion? Morality? Can I give you two reasons why Jesus was motivated to die for you and me? First one is obedience. Hebrews 10.9, if you have it in your Bible. Behold, I have come to do your will. You know what the Bible says over and over again? God says, I don't desire sacrifice. I desire 
Obedience. There's a song. To obey is better than sacrifice. We pat ourselves on the back. You know what I gave up for you? I gave up golf today to come to church, God. And God is saying, it's just as if you should have gone play golf. Because to obey is better than sacrifice. And Jesus says, I've come to die on the cross for one reason. For his first world. Two, couple, two reasons at least. The first reason is, God, I want to obey you. Friends, do you desire that? Do you desire to say, God, I want to live a life of obedience to you? And this is what Jesus is saying. At John 19.30, when he dies, gets nailed to the cross, the last words he says on the cross is what? Three words. It is finished. What is finished? My obedience to you, God. I gave you my life for the sins of many. It is done. So this is what Jesus does. He annihilates that barrier once and for all with a thud. When he died, the curtains were torn, earth shook, dead people came alive. And when he died, sin died. Amen? Hallelujah? And that barrier was bridged that you and I can walk over. Can I tell you something? You weren't born a Christian. It is impossible. When people say that, you don't understand the good news of Jesus Christ. You're attributing it to, I was just happened to be born in the right place. Can I tell you something else? I've been Christian for 30 years. That's the bulls and goats talk. You know what a Christian says? I have no righteousness of my own. I am a sinner. Jesus was a sacrifice once and for all that I may live. Can you say once and for all? This is why there is no exclusion of anybody to the cross. This is why there's no classism, racism, narcissism. There is no exclusion. If you're a sinner, you're welcome. You know who's invited to the church? Jesus Christ? Only those who are not perfect. If you're perfect, please, we don't want you. Do not come to our church if you're perfect. We just want those who are imperfect, and you are welcome because the pastor, I stand for you because I'm righteous only because of that. And the reason why Jesus went to the cross, Hebrews 12, 2 says, second reason, simply this, he did it for joy. For the joy set before him endured the cross. And let me wrap it up with this. Jesus didn't just do it like, okay, I'll do it. But he says he went to the cross with joy. And I was thinking, what? What gives him joy to die? And I think it gives him joy to think of you and I saved. I think it gives him joy to say sin and divorce, death, cancer, Alzheimer's, earthquakes, done. Gladly, evil will be finished. It gives me joy. That's what Jesus says. And he goes to the cross that by these wounds, we are saved. I don't know what kind of God you believe, but that's the God that reveals to me in Jesus Christ. And that's the God that makes me want to come to church and worship. That's the God that makes me say, my children, there is nothing more greater for you to know than Jesus Christ. Church, this is not the building. It is our Savior Christ who is ahead, and he is calling us to worship and live his life. That is church. 
Only sinners are welcome. Will you obey? Will you come? And will you say, cross of Jesus Christ, I lay it all down. Nothing but your righteousness, O God. And Jesus, after he did his sacrifice, unlike the priest who did it every day, this is so bad, you know, bad meaning good way, priest sacrifice, and they do it every day. Jesus sacrifices once, and he sits down at the throne of God, and he goes, it is finished. Can I encourage you with something? If you're a Christian, you never have to look over your shoulder because of your sin. Amen? There are repercussions of it, but if you're a Christian, you never have to look over your shoulder and think, I'm not perfect. And Jesus says, yes, you are. Did you catch that last verse? And then we'll pray. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Now, let me ask you again in Christ. Don't raise your hand because I don't want to make people. Just say amen if this is true of you. In Christ, say amen if you stand before God. Perfect. Amen? That's the promise of God. And you're being made holy, meaning, but while you're living on this earth, you're in a process where you're becoming more like Jesus. And when we see him face to face, we are exactly as he has always meant us to be. That is why we worship and say, you forever reign Jesus Christ, most high God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so amazing. You broke down the barrier. You pay the price for my sins. You pay the price for all our sins. And God, sometimes we still try to act as if we could do the work to get right with you, and we frustrate ourselves. We are frustrated by sins. But Lord, help us to anchor our hopes in this promise that you pay the price once and for all, that you are the one that we cling to. You are the trust. You are our hope. It is not something we've made or accomplished but it is your work on the cross and the resurrection that fulfilled it. So we give you ourselves, and we ask that you would pour over each of us that there is forgiveness in Christ, that you would pour over each of us that there is welcoming of those who realize and recognize their sins, and that, God, that you don't desire sacrifices, but as you say in Psalm 51, a broken and a contrite heart you will never despise. So, God, we come to you broken. Save us. Hosanna to Jesus, the one whose name means God saves. In your name we pray. And all the people said,